0: Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Matt Leach. This episode, we have something a little different for you. As many of you know, I work with Foundry, an education option based in Tasmania designed for a new type of creative. Foundry partner with universities and education institutions across Australia to deliver a range of fully accredited outcomes, all underpinned by content crafted to meet the needs of the creative industry. Each term, in the final week, we hold an event called Foundry Live. Foundry Live is a quarterly day conference that brings four industry speakers together to present to students and local creatives. As part of the event, a panel was held that gets the four speakers to discuss a theme that is affecting the industry. In this panel, we looked at the gig economy and how to survive and thrive in it. Our speakers, in alphabetical order, were Jim Antonopoulos, founder and director of Tank, Anita MacArthur, founder and creative director of Seesaw, Vanessa Ward, founder of Nomadism, and Andy Wright, Managing Director of Streamtime and creator of Never Not Creative. Before we jump into the conversation, it's worth explaining that the panel was actually inspired by Never Not Creative. As Never Not Creative expresses in their manifesto, there are some things in our industry that become normalized, which shouldn't be. They're not normal in any other industry. Never Not Creative is an initiative supported by Streamtime that hopes to start the discussions on mental health, the value of creativity and fair reward, working hours, and ethical dilemmas. It's an opportunity for designers to come together and work together to bring about positive change in the industry. During the pre-launch phase, Never Not Creative asked the question, what are the biggest challenges facing the creative industry and the creatives within it? They received answers from all over the world, but three clear themes emerged. Stress and burnout, value recognition, and isolation and rejection. Some of these topics are brought up during the panel talk. What I personally love about Never Not Creative is that no one knows where it's going to end up, but it creates a framework for the discussion to start. If you want to get involved, the easiest way is to do a Google search for Never Not Creative where you'll find their medium publication. On social channels, you can find them at nvrnotcreative. If you'd like to find out more about Foundry and what they do, you can find more at foundry.com.au. Okay, that's enough talk from me. Let's jump straight into the beginning of the panel. I hope you enjoy it. So our topic today is surviving the gig economy. Now, the gig economy is a relatively new term, but what we thought was really interesting for this particular topic is that the people on the panel are essentially employers, and a majority of you out there are essentially employees that may be heading into this gig economy. So I'd like to start off with Anita. What, in your mind, is the gig economy as far as design
1: for us, it's it's contractors or freelancers or collaborators. In the past, we've hardly ever used freelancers. We've always hired people. We thought it was just more cost-effective and, and easier for us. But we're calling this year the year of the freelancer <laughs> because we've already had four, I think, so far. You know, in the past, it's been really hard for us to manage staff manage careers to manage a team and the joy of having freelancers is you can pick the right person for that job you can get experts in whether it's a um a photographer in terms of you know the creative collaboration or it might be um a finished artist for a a really complicated you know pre-press project which we we just did last week yeah jim and i were talking about it on the on the plane this morning and you only really use freelancers don't you
2: Yeah, we do. We um, restructured our business from 30 people down to um, a very small team, which I'll talk about this afternoon, and we really just believe in that sort of freelance talent, but we also invest in it in a certain way.
0: What about you, Vanessa?
3: There are three people in nomadism, and we work, I would say, loosely as a collective, so that gives each of us with very, very different skill sets the opportunity to work on other things as well, but also to go out and um, pitch for projects which particularly interest us that that we want to complete. So, in a a situation like ours, because we have, we effectively take different leads, whether it's design or culture change or or systems design, the other parties will play supporting roles. So, it, it enables us to be quite flexible but still keep a very kind of cohesive view of an entire project because we'll just work very, very flexibly across it. And I think the collective type model is great for creatives because you can, especially when there's a lot of demand around, because you can pick and choose and you can really start shaping the types of jobs that you do and, and, and also your passion projects if they're on the side as well. And It still gives you that capacity for, for that entire scope.
0: So what I'm hearing is that this is a thing that's been around for a little while and potentially under a different name. I think you mentioned before it's, it's basically freelancing. But it has brought around some change because you know, obviously we have Uber and Deliveroo and all that kind of stuff which looks at this um, gig economy as as a thing you can do on the side. Obviously this is our job so it's it's not on the side. Has it changed from when you were coming up I guess to now?
2: Yeah it has changed enormously. You know that notion of um, I'm going to get a full time job and I'm going to work somewhere for a number of years and then three or four years later I'm going to leave and get a better job and a promotion and more money. Yep the latter and repeat, you know, the latter. Uh, That's changed dramatically. And there are different forces that are pulling. Like, one of them is that our industry is sprawling. It's like the suburbs, you know, we were talking about it earlier. The majority of our... Sorry. The vast majority of our industry are small businesses, tiny small businesses, two people, four people, six people like us, who just don't have capacity, funds, clients, time to hire full-time people. Mm-hmm. So they've restructured. That's one force. Another force is that large consulting companies are becoming more creative than us. They're buying creative services, etc. So there, that's another force pulling the other way. And then uh, product businesses, like Streamtime, are creative in themselves. They've got creative units. MyOP as well is really well known. That's another force pulling at us. So then we, as business owners, I guess look at smart entrepreneurial thinkers that can add something else to our businesses beyond, with respect, sitting at a screen, moving a mouse. Anita, you gave me an interesting... Stat before.
1: Yeah, uh, there was a um, research that we took part in a couple of years ago and I think the stats came back and I could be completely wrong and I'll find it and I'll send it to you guys and you can publish it <laughs> But I think the vast majority, as Jim said, of studios are probably two, two to four people maximum. Uh, our studio is 11 um, with four part-timers and I think we'd be classified in the top 2% of um, agency sizes in Australia. I mean, you'd probably know about that as well. But, yeah, I think the, the percentage of... Um, companies making a decent amount of money and hiring a lot of staff is getting smaller and smaller because most people are one or two man bands. So, you know, and it makes employment for future graduates quite limited um, in
3: a traditional studio environment. I mean, I will say that I think there's a huge opportunity in that because the trend for agencies... You know, it swings, the pendulum has swung from being an all-inclusive, all-singing, all-dancing, we'll do everything from your design to your advertising to your media buy to, you know, to the full scope of everything to... started to become siloed, they became deep specialists, and now the trend is to kind of swing back the other way as advertising falls apart and no-one knows what to do. So on that spectrum, you start getting lots of little small agencies, much like ourselves, who have a deep domain discipline in one particular area and can deliver against that, but also have the networks to be able to say, we need a videographer for yeah. this. Let's pull them in. Not every project's going to require that, but it, it, they there are these opportunities for project-specific work to get that diversity and that network happening, which is, I think, the way the tools and the digital tools that we have today are supporting all of that as well. So collaboration can happen across distances and countries and places in a way that that could never happen before.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, when I started out, we didn't have email, <laughs> all right? So, you know, I did job applications by hand. <laughs> you know, we'll type them up. Um, but we're, we're living in a time where the opportunity, yes, is on for us as business owners, but also the individual, you, the individual has enormous opportunity to create your own thing. Working in an agency is not the only thing that you can do with the skills that you have as a creative leader. And I'm immensely passionate about that. We look at the people that we work with, we, we look at all the other things that they're doing. What are you making? What have you read? What are you creating? Who are you working with? What other projects have you initiated? Where have you failed? That's okay too. All of those things. And right now, there's, you could put up a Squarespace website tonight if you had a really great idea for a business and you get up and running tomorrow, start building an email list and away you go. Um, and you could still go and run gigs in agencies in between the cracks and hopefully there are none after a while. So there's opportunity. You're absolutely right.
4: I think it makes people more interesting as well, like, you know, if you're not doing nine till five, five days a week or longer and, and kind of stuck on the same thing or if you're in an agency and you get stuck working on a, when we're at Interbrand the big thing would be you get stuck working on Telstra and then you say goodbye to your life for a couple of years, even though I kind of thought there's great opportunities there, but still and, but now like, I think it's almost expected, like so many people are interested in doing, hey, is there any chance I could do three days a week or four days a week there's a guy, a quick, very quick story um, that we hired for the people, a guy called Matt Groom, and uh, who has one of the most popular podcasts in Australia, actually, and it's a Power Ranger podcast. So it might not be your thing. Uh, it's called Ranger Danger. It's, but he was a fascinating person, and so he has all these things, like he was in an agency doing this kind of mundane work. He, his job was writing origin electricity disconnection letters, which is, geez, that's what I got into work for. And so to kind of make this job more interesting, he started to restructure these letters in the theme of Die Hard. And so basically found the way to go, okay, so John McClane gets off a plane. Uh, He's come to kind of see his wife, Holly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, we're Origin. We're just saying hello. How are you doing? Oh, suddenly terrorists uh, storm the Nakatomi Plaza and uh, you haven't paid your bill. So... If you, don't, uh, if you don't pay your bill shortly, unfortunately we're going to have to disconnect you. But don't worry, you know, we've got a solution. You know, John has a solution and he stop, saves the day and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, here's someone who thinks very, very interestingly. And I was like, I want someone like that in our business. And so literally, uh, Jason interviewed him at, at nine. I interviewed him at 10. Uh, we said to Damien, you, you should see this guy at four. That night I sent him a contract. Four weeks later he was in the building. But even he, kind of, for the people, which, you know, we were great, we were doing great work, got a little bit burnt out, um, got stuck working on a client, and then he went off to uh, uh, Norway or Iceland or something like that for three months, found himself, came back, says, right, I want to do three days a week. The other two days, I'm going to write comics. And now he's just been uh, commissioned to write for the Power Ranger comic, which is amazing. And so that's why... That's why. You should be doing other stuff. And I think it makes you more interesting. And then I'm super interested what you bring to work. Like we always used to say Matt brought all of himself to work. Like that shouldn't be side stuff. Um, It should be the things that kind of make you who you are and the type of work that you're you're going to do.
0: Is Matt also the guy that didn't eat solid food?
4: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He, (laughs) He doesn't really believe in food that much. Like he doesn't enjoy it. And so he, we, have, we literally had shitloads of boxes of Soylent uh, for the people. And that's what he would have every day. Puddle water, I used to call it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so we're talking about some of the benefits there. What are some that you can see for um, people entering into the gig economy? What are, what are some of the issues that they have to be aware of?
4: Isolation. I think in starting Never Not Creative, we ask people to they they kind of sign up and then they get a question. We said, "What's one of the biggest issues facing the you as a creative in the creative industry?" And because it's it is kind of a lot of much more freelancing and contracting at the moment um, and remote working, it's it's the isolation, right? Like I've I've always worked in places where there's a big kind of team ethic. Like your best work comes from two or three or four. People getting in a room, bashing something out, bouncing ideas off each other, try doing that on your own every day and that 's like that 's pretty hard and you, and you also become like your your biggest critic you 're kind of not sure i 'd imagine you second guessed yourself quite a lot as to whether something is really good, and that puts a lot of pressure on you and so if you 're not getting it from your kind of like day to day work, I would really encourage you to try and find that outlet somewhere else and it 's not just in a forum or a Facebook group. It's like, go and see people. Make, have, have some human contact with the world. I,
3: don't, I would just um, say that I think there's an appropriate stage for being a freelancer all the time. I mean, it's probably quite natural as you're getting out of school to take up little projects and, and start kind of working and get your get your um, feet wet and, and do projects, but there's so many intangibles that come from working in a large business and a large corporation for a while, things that you don't think that you're going to get out of it. So you understand things about human interactions, about decision making, about culture, which which you just can't get working by yourself or even with one or two other people. And so there's a huge learning that happens when you're working with a great number of people in a, in a big organization and so it's kind of um, it's a balance like there are experiences to be got from both sides on the on the one hand you can you can tailor you can work how you work best you can find that sweet spot you can work at your own time but on the other hand you're missing out on a lot of um, the learnings that happen when it comes with lots of people around you all with different tensions and priorities that you have to mesh with and work with so Um, I'd say at the beginning of your career, although it's probably easiest because it's kind of a low barrier, you can slip into projects at your level and and work that way, there is a real opportunity to get out there and work for businesses who've been doing it for a long time. They've made a lot of the same mistakes. They've got a lot of the tools and the processes in place to to help you do things better ultimately. Um, And and that's what gets missed out on.
0: So that's isolation and kind of picking up on those, I guess, soft skills that that come with working in a big, bigger place. Mm. What other, are there other issues that we, that they need to be aware of, like?
1: Yeah, running a small business, running like a small business like away. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. Knowing yeah. how much to charge. Yeah. yeah, like you, you don't know any of that sort mm. of stuff. What to do when, if you're in print, when a print job goes wrong, and who's responsible, and you know all the legal f- side that comes with doing that. I know that was a massive challenge for
2: us. Yeah, for me, the gig economy is not just about freelancing. I think you're. I think that's really. I'm not disagreeing, but for me the gig economy is um, a a bit more than that as well, freelancing is one aspect. I work with uh, one of our collaborators, uh, Frankie Layton, she has has a number of gigs, one of them is an eco-friendly laundry detergent that she creates, made in Melbourne, called Dirt, the Dirt company is her Instagram feed, and it is amazing, she's made it from scratch, She's and I'm plugging it hard because it's it's amazing. We work with her not on dirt, but we work with her. She works with me on strategy projects, and we then help her with dirt whenever we've got the spare time for free, just because she's one of our team. Now Frankie has a couple of other gigs. but That's just one gig. Mm. Now she doesn't see us as a freelance gig, where she sees us as one of her one of her gigs. I guess mm. it's not freelancing for hours. That I transact with Frankie, we're talking about chunky engagements: three months, six months, two days a week, eight months, and dirt happens in between that. So, so what's the difference between that and a side hustle then? That is a side hustle, Mm -hmm. but hers is a serious one. You know, I have a couple of my own. You know, I run um, an online course um, that teaches people around the world strategy, called Strategy Masterclass, and. I, I work with, with a lot of individuals and a lot of business owners through that course that are professional giggers, they don't see themselves as freelancers, they're professionals and they have their own hustle and they have a couple of small freelance gigs but there's a number of other large chunky engagements that they work with um, and the, they deal with the isolation. Um, they challenge that through things outside of work. So they have networks outside of work. Because of you know, mental health issues are huge in our industry. And video, I have video calls with those guys all the time. There's about 200 of them so far. It's not just freelancing, that's my yeah. point.
0: Is it also the business savviness um, to kind of deal with that lack of security? So your, your gig may last for three months, but then you don't really know where the
2: next one's coming from? That's up to you. Hmm. you know, that's just a business problem. Um, that's a problem I have, um, owning a business, I'm worrying about where my next client's coming from. That's no different to that. That's just business. So and and that's, that's our it.
4: business in Sorry. terms of projects. Yeah. Right. Like, it, we, no matter what agency I've run, we've always been about eight weeks from going out of business. It's just reality, like that's how it, that's how it works, the project starts, project stops. And um, you're like you're hoping another one's going to come along. Normally it does, but it's pretty hard unless you've got a kind of very big relationship with a big retainer sat next to it. Um, you are always on the on the edge.
3: But I think that's actually where the gig economy, t- to use that term, com- comes into its own because, you know, from from the humble freelancer or the side project or whatever you're running. Um, you know that as an individual not being responsible for sheer numbers of people, the the interns, the, the junior designers, the everything else, you know that you can manage overheads, you know, keep things kind of lean and run it and then when you have projects you know, scale up at that moment and then scale back down again and I think that's that's really kind of the beauty of it, from an employee standpoint. Like you don't just you don't have these huge overheads which are sitting there, um, weighing on mm. whether another project's going to come another huge project's going to come in and float it. You know, to the next point. So there's always this um, this real sort of scale issue with with agencies as well. You know, they get up to a, like a 50 60 point head count and and they're right because there's enough business, new business business development happening to kind of push everything along but anything underneath that and it's really quite touch and go.
2: One of the things that I see in the gig economy as well is um, you have the ability to create different revenue streams in different ways so you can create as an individual and as an agency, it allows us the opportunity to create a number of different business models what I mean by that is, in what we're talking about in traditional agency services, client knocks on the door, gives us a brief, we quote it, we do the work, and then hopefully they come back. That's one business model, a pretty shit one at that. Um, then the other one is the retainer. That's a different business model. They pay us a monthly fee, we do five times whatever, and they pay us, hopefully. Then there's other things. But the gig economy allows us other things. So to use um, myself and Frankie as an example as I mentioned earlier, we have products. So the online course makes money in a different way to uh, consulting and to projects, to strategy projects and creative projects that we do. Three different business models that we benefit from because of the gig economy. Frankie makes money through online subscriptions through her laundry detergent. Um, that's one very specific business model. She can tweak that to do product based selling, different business model for the same product, because of the gig economy. She can have specific talent just focusing on her product. That's the beauty of it.
3: And I would, I would add there's a, a couple more in there as well. Um, and one thing that, that is really, really interesting is um, that we used to do at Fuse Project, which was we would take equity in startups. So, there would be, in terms of a business model that works, startup comes with idea. Idea looks sort of meaty and tangible enough that there's a significant amount of design work involved both in Brand in product in strategy in go-to-market, etc. And a certain amount of um, equity is taken, and there's an initial payment, and then that that involvement continues until all the tasks are fulfilled. And if that equity can be realised by an IPO, great. If not, then they slowly pay out. The, the startup pays out the agency over time when their product is successful, and so it pairs their success the agency's success with the startup's success and the two were very, very dependent on each other and that's kind of interesting because both parties start off with something to offer but not necessarily just pure cash transaction. So um, there are other ways of kind of making things happen, which I think is the ultimate goal.
0: If I'm getting this right, what we seem to be saying is that we need to, rather than accept that we're part of the gig economy, it's more to treat ourselves as a business. No matter what, you're, whether you're working for someone or you're doing your own thing.
4: Because gig is, I think we were talking about this at breakfast, like gig is it's kind of spare time and cash. Mm. Like, it, it, you know, if you are like just jumping around doing Uber, there's no real expertise in, in that, right? I mean, you could be an amazing driver, get five stars, and uh, off you go. But um, there's no real kind of, you're filling in time, you are also making the most of kind of assets that you already have. But in this kind of economy, it's like, it's how can you get the most meaning out of your work and the most value for, for what it is that you're really good at. And I think that is that is quite different because essentially you would be in control of that. Um, and if you can find great relationships to, to work with people and you, you kind of get this little ecosystem of people that you know you love to work with, then that's the that's the real opportunity. But yes, the gig economy is, it was kind of named after Uber and the ability to, you know, Deliveroo and all that kind of stuff. And that's pretty it's pretty tough to make money that way too.
0: Yeah, it was it definitely seen more as a top-up as opposed to a, as to a lifestyle, I guess, which it now seems to have become, at least in the press.
3: No, I, I think what you're saying is fundamentally, you know, we see design as this, this, this thing that we do for money or this thing, this lifestyle that we lead, but actually this is the opportunity to design your life. You know, it's the, okay... Overall, as I look towards my next five to ten years, I know that I want to be spending maybe four days in an ideal world doing my eight-hour days, and I want the rest of the time to be on my own side projects or with family, with hobbies, etc. And so there is this flexibility, and it's kind of on your terms, but but you have to go into it with... Uh, A deliberate act to work out what that is before it just accidentally happens because it it will happen potentially not in the way that you would like it you find find yourself drowned or subsumed by work or not without work you know and so I think it's it's that deliberate structuring of how I want to see my life be lived and what are the components and then you go out and start pulling those things together
0: that was really well said (laughs) If you were having to... I mean, you've kind of already said it in a way, Vanessa, but if you, were having, if you were sitting in this room and you were looking at entering the industry, how would you approach that? And maybe Anita, you can pick this up.
3: No, I mean, I, I, I found... I've said it before, I think I found the working for other people and understanding their, how they view the world and make decisions just invaluable. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't remove that. I think there are times we can just benefit from other people's experience and knowledge and sort of being taken down a path um, that's for someone else's point of view. But if you have a very clear, strong point of view on how you want to work, the types of engagement, or types of work you want to do, then start structuring that in. And, and it, it's a learning process. You don't get it Right all at once, so you need to start putting all of the kind of pieces in place, but allow yourself moments to grow and learn and take courses and all the rest of it along the way because you you haven't finished learning, none of us have finished learning, even though we're running businesses, it's it's an ongoing process. Yeah, 100%
1: agree, and I think it's just having a point of difference and a real... um you know, I, we were talking about that this morning in the panel, like making sure that people really keep educating themselves and really having something that they bring to the table, both professionally and, and personally. Interesting people. I mean, we make jobs, and I know Jim does too, for people that are just good people that we want to hang around with, mm. like, you know, Power Ranger guy. And that's really important. So balancing both sides of your, yourself. So constantly learning and then being a, a good person at the same time.
4: And I think, like, you've got to keep yourself... Feet and interesting, you know? Yeah, like, you got to yeah. look after your, yourself. Like, I think at the minute that you dread going into work or the minute that you can't, yeah, you're just not... You, you end up walking around the block instead of walking through the front door, mm. then, and, like, I'm speaking from experience, <laughs> um, you know that you need to do something different. Yeah. And, it, like, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the people around you. It's not healthy for the business that you're, that you're working in. And you, especially if you are a little bit more isolated, you kind of got to look out for yourself as well or find other people to kind of look out for you. But I think our workplaces and our industry does a terrible job at that. It does not look out for people very well. It has a lot of expectations around what people should be doing and how they should be doing it and how much effort they should be putting in. People assume that like coming to work sick is a show of solidarity and it's good and it's like, I don't want to let people down. Biggest thing, you ask someone who comes in and they start coughing and sneezing and shit everywhere and you go, why are you here? They go, I don't want to let anyone down and it's like, well, you know, unfortunately, yes, you did let everyone down because now everyone is going to be sick (laughs) for the next three weeks but I appreciate your, uh, your dedication. Uh, but I think, like, you, you've got to look after, you, after yourself. And you can't do your best work if, you know, you're, you're kind of just burnt out. Like, you'll burn out. burn-out massive issue in our, in our industry.
0: Jim, if, if someone is maybe working for someone and they're working five days a week, but they've got this burning side project, how would you suggest that they might talk to their employer about getting that day, a, d- a day to explore, not, not a day off?
2: <laughs> I think it's none of the employer's business. First of all, it's yours, so you don't have to ask for permission to do it. So just start doing it. You've got weekends, and you've got a little bit of time after work. Leave at 5:30. No one in our business works past 5:30. Six o'clock is rare. Um, if you want, and every role in our business has the option of going to part time. So if someone asks, they just say, "I'd say yes." If you're up again, if you're already employed and you want an extra day off, that's a negotiation because every employer's very different, and you're going to get no more than yes. Um, but I wouldn't ask for permission to create a side hustle, first and foremost. That's your, that's my thing, it's not your thing, it's my thing. So I would create it, and I did this with my couple, I've got a couple of, few, as I mentioned, side hustles. Um, I write a weekly blog every Tuesday. I did all of that in my PJs, on the laptop, in bed. Actually, I don't wear PJs, but you know. <laughs> um, I did all of that in in my own time, in my own situation, in between raising three children I have a, a, and my wife. That was my business. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't ask anyone for permission. Um, for, so that should be empowering. Um, that should not, you should not have to ask for validation. You've got tools at your disposal. You got this. You get a bit of this and just do it. Like I wouldn't be asking for an extra day off.
4: It's actually a very interesting experiment to do, which is to offer people uh, time off and uh, to go. You know, like actually, what would you do if you just worked three or four days a week? We did that in a previous business, and so it was. It was really interesting to see what happened. Some people kind of made the most of it. Would they go like bike riding for two days and come down to Tassie? And then another person went and got a job with a startup, one day a week. She left after that. And she went and got. She went and permanently worked with that startup. It's actually a really good way of working out what you want to do, mm. and finding out kind of what sort of culture you have as a business. And then you know, like 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 I said, Matt was was doing comics two days a week, got that three days a week, knew how his life needed to be, and it and it worked. And so it is. It's a bit of a like a daring experiment. You find out a lot about your, your, the people that work Absolutely. with
2: you. Absolutely. All of our guys have... Uh, most of us are part-time, myself included. I work nine days a fortnight, if you, that classifies as part-time. But everyone comes in enriched and nourished, and they bring in a whole bunch of things. Marita, who works with us, is a speaker on climate change in the, in the Pacific Islands. She's from Kiribati. Um, so she, go, she was in Fiji a few weeks ago doing a talk. She came And she brings in on her days off, right? She works with us part-time. And she brings that richness back into our, into our, into the, our working environment. Um, and we all do in some way.
4: And, it, like, we're supposed to be creative businesses, you know? Like, but then, amazingly, we treat the people that, that might work for us like factory workers or machines, you know? Like, I hate, when we started for the people, I hate timesheets. Like, to, to, to be able to design a, a piece of software that was meant to be about timesheets and then get rid of them was kind of great. But we said, timesheets, they're just kind of rubbish. Like, it's like someone walking into a factory, punching a card and, and walking out. It's like, yeah, I can't say how much time it's going to take to come up with an idea or to solve a problem or, or things like that. And yet we... You know, I, don't, I think it's changing big time, but I, I think there's still a lot of places that treat the, the creatives in their business as, as very much as, as numbers and people who are going to deliver certain assets rather than this kind of weird and wacky, creative organisms that live in their business and solve problems. And so we, we kind of have to get, to get to that. I think it is starting to change. Stop treating people like, like robots. It's Ooh. dumb.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, ironically, um, Salesforce have a little uh, creative agency inside them, and they don't have timesheets and uh, their value is the value that they bring to the client. So they they just get paid a certain amount, and they go into an organisation as a consultant, and they say, what are the problems that I can fix here? And the more problems I fix, the more I get paid versus the other way around. It's like, what is my time worth? And so even switching that around makes a huge difference. It, it takes a larger organisation with a bit of money to do that. But at the same time, they probably create far more value in doing so because they're not this expendable resource that's clocked by the hour.
2: We, we don't do timesheets. It's the one feature of stream time we don't use. Don't touch it. No one logs time. We don't, even, we don't sell time. We don't talk about time with our clients. Yeah, at all
1: we do still and it's proving really difficult at the moment because we've been we have the most process driven studio like every second is accounted for our staff don't work back after five thirty either we you know most of us work four days but at the same time it's extremely structured and as a result let's just go pure business here like money in money out like we, we're really profitable but the creative creativity suffers and the people get frustrated because they don't have enough time on projects you know we try to we really push and foster you know people doing you know side hustles and we really want to try to have a work life balance and make it as fun as we possibly can but we're really struggling with that at the moment that balance of changing from an extremely structured studio to one that's more fluid it's proven quite difficult because once you've gone down such a you know strict road it's really hard to come back
0: We talked about planning your life out and everything, and that implies that you understand how to plan, but it also implies that you need to be able to self-reflect and kind of work out, you know, I'm doing all these side hustles now, I'm in the gig economy, but maybe some of these side hustles aren't working as well as I should. How would you suggest people kind of do that reflection?
3: Post-it notes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I'm I'm actually deadly serious. I create a two by two. (laughs) You put all of the things you want to do down and you, you design workshop your life. And um, and you, you have all these components. You realize you, you, you have an interest in X and you put it in there. And if you don't find a way to include it, you know that you don't have the structure right. And so um, you just workshop it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you and I were talking about, too. Yeah. Before, like we were talking, yeah, yeah,
3: like figuring out all the
1: things that you and I are interested in and coming up with some product yeah. that we could yeah, sell. Exactly.
0: So that's working out the ROI. Do you have any way that you do that now with your side hustle? Yeah, we
2: use a um, two-by-two. Two. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of post noting, so impact versus effort. So high impact, low effort. It's a no-brainer. You do it. <laughs> low impact, high effort are duds, even though we're excited about the ideas. We do that often.
0: My phone started working, and the questions have come through. In a gig economy, where should you live? And what do you think about Tassie as the creative Tasmania. island? Is
4: that the thing that's
0: here? Now, we talked a bit about this around breakfast, that, that one of the major benefits of the gig economy is that you can live anywhere, essentially. And there's even tourism companies set up to actually
2: help that. Is there anywhere that you should live? I've got students on my online course from Oslo, Kenya, USA, Nairobi, Florida... Melbourne, Sydney, I could go on. Most of them are solopreneurs. Some are business owners, like large-ish creative people, architects, project managers, cross-disciplines, and not not all of them are from our industry. So it actually doesn't matter, my point is. It doesn't matter. As long as you have a Wi-Fi connection and a decent one, yep. that's all that matters. We've
0: got a question here which says, do you think there is a stigma of being a gigger?
2: I think it's changing.
4: I, I mean, I think, yeah, when you kind of met those sort of career freelancers in the past, I think they were always kind of seen... I don't know, like, they, they were definitely specialists, but it was, like, they're not going to be the most exciting people in your business. But now I think it's it's flipping. Like, you are working with specialists and experts and people that, like, have decided to choose that specific thing to kind of be their, their expertise. And so, yeah... It bec- yeah,
1: a whole bunch of different studios or agencies and I can bring so much more knowledge than what you... Yourself.
2: There you go. Yeah.
0: Did mm. Now the question says, uh, what gives you the confidence to back yourself, <laughs> i.e., your own sense of value and choices? And again, this goes back to something we were talking about before about this idea that uh, being a gigger, uh, you you have less of a chance to gauge what's normal, what's above normal, what's below normal.
3: I, I think that's experience. You know, it, you've, you've gone out there, you've tried, you've failed, you've seen what's worked, what's not. You've had feedback. Uh, some people are born with it. Some people are born with, you know, just an unerring confidence in themselves, and that's great, but that, that doesn't apply to, I think, the majority of people, and we have to go by experience and trying things out and working with various types of projects harness our skills best or really are our sweet spot in terms of what we love to do and the problems we love to solve so it, it you need that breadth of experience I think
4: I also think you're probably not the first person to do what you're about to do you know like three kids you're about to have a baby it's going to change your life oh it turns out everybody pretty much has done it um, and so it's like you know what are you what are you worried about or I just, went, I just got back from uh, like Disneyland and a Disney cruise and all this kind of stuff with my kids and found out that my six-year-old daughter has an obsession with roller coasters all of a sudden. And I'm like, "Oh shit, it's been a while since I've been on a roller coaster. <laughs> and uh, so we're there, we're queuing up, and it's like, oh, yeah, 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 you had one this morning. Um, you're kind of queuing, <laughs> queuing up, and you go, you know what? There's a little couple of little kids just came out from that last one, this, like... Granddad and grandma came out. It's like, Well, they're fine. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like you, should, you need to just look around you. You're not that special. You, know, you are very special, <laughs> but you're not that special in that you know, this isn't going to work or it isn't going to work. It's like 90-something percent of businesses in Australia are small businesses. People have started their own business. Um, And so there's no reason really that you can't do it. But you have to have that kind of perspective. Um, I think things aren't as scary as you think. And
2: and I think there's an issue there if you're getting your self-confidence, which is the heart of the question, isn't it, from your work or your vocation. I think that's an issue. You've got to get your self-confidence from other things and it should have nothing, anything to do with your work or your career. That's that's different. Your self-confidence and self-awareness comes from another place
0: got one clap nice. <laughs> that's how
4: medium works now you know, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: so Jim there's a, a question to you which says you, you're talking about not charging time but how are you charging
2: we are charging in lots of different ways um, and that's the key mm-hmm. but none of those ways include selling time we don't exchange money for time We price on, we do fixed price, so you want us to do X, we'll do it for this much, and these are the terms, and we define X really clearly. So the moment we begin X, if you start talking about uh, hot dogs, and you're buying a hamburger, we remind you of that. And a hot dog is a different process. We price on uh, things, so a meeting is a thing, so Mm we put a price on that. And a meeting can go for an hour, but we're not selling the hour. So, one depending on the type of meeting, uh, we might charge a thousand dollars for that meeting. But the client, we put parameters around that, so the client might have to buy six of those, and they have to happen in a month. So, there are very strict parameters around that, and we productize it. We call it something, and we define the requirements really clearly. And I could keep going. But, but it, um, it, it, none it of is it has anything right? to do with time.
4: Like our industry has been selling time for years but clients haven't been buying time no, they've been buying deliverables five years ago. but it's the, it's the perception right You're, we've been comfortable with selling time from that perspective the clients never bought that they never bought oh i'm getting this many hours they actually bought hey i wanted this brochure I wanted that website all that and they don't really care how much time it's going to take yeah. that's it, it we, we've been selling fixed price yeah. we just thought we would sell the time i'll give you an example who asked the
2: question you asked the question. Hello. <laughs> I give you a, real, a live example. I submitted a tender yesterday for a, a, a state government um, in a job. Uh, it was, they told us the budget. It was $120,000. So I defined really clearly what was going to happen for that fee. And I know that government pay in certain cycles. They pay on delivery. I'm not prepared to do that job for that price paid on delivery because I incur a lot of costs on a $120,000 job, right? So I put on a dedicated page in my proposal that 50% had to be paid up front, and then I marked the milestone payments. None of it was on delivery. It was at key points in the project plan, and the last payment was four weeks prior to delivery, so we had all the cash in the bank because it was an expensive gig. Now, we're not going to get that job, because you don't, you don't negotiate with government. It's done through a vendor portal. You know? But that's an example of just going tight on a, on a requirement because otherwise it's going it's to shaft us.
0: Another question which I can answer, what, what are the best podcasts for freelancers to listen to?
2: <laughs> well,
0: there's this show called ADR. No. Have you got any suggestions?
4: Uh, Creative Mornings is a good podcast. Yes. They, they kind of take the, uh, some of the best talks from Creative Mornings and then go, go deeper into them. Quite fun of that. Yeah.
1: I listen to podcasts that have nothing to do yeah. with design, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's because that's what I want to do to build myself up and give myself the confidence yeah. and, and figure out who I am outside of what I do for my living. So, yeah.
0: I always suggest you watch, um, and his name escapes me, but if um, You Pay Me. Um, Mike Montero. Mike Montero. I think you start with that and you kind of go down his, his long talk about what freelancers are doing wrong and what they can do better.
2: Gary Vaynerchuk. Come on.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> his podcast is amazing. It's got, nothing to do with, with, it's got nothing to do with what we're talking about and everything to do with what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, serial entrepreneur, multi-multi-multi-millionaire. I'll just Google the name. Spell it wrong and you'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> There's so, many great, so much great content out there that I think if you're just listening to uh, your specific career niche-related content, you've got to take the blinkers off, and that's how you grow.
0: Another question, which is about mentors. Uh, do you mentor, do you mentee, and how do you find your mentee mentors?
1: I have in the past, and recently we hired her as well, which was really lovely. No, I mean... I feel like you and I, we have peers that we sort of meet with and we like we help each other in terms of businesses. So in terms of taking on a younger, more junior person, at the moment, I don't, I have. But no, I think we do it with each other, which is really lovely. Mm. So yeah, from a business point of view, I mean, we try to... There's a bunch of us that try to connect um, and talk about just creative businesses and I find that really help,
3: helpful. Um, yes, and it, it's just through networks. So people who know people who... Think there's something in common. They'll get you in touch, um, and and they're pretty formal. They're the odd WhatsApp call, the odd Skype chat, etc. And uh, and and they're from all over the world. So um, it's it's a very very informal process, though. I
4: I uh, mentor some startups in Sydney, and then I I, yeah, I have done some other stuff. That I think there's an interesting watch out as well, which is like once you get a mentor and you kind of rock up and chat with them. And you just, you're expecting wisdom. And you need to know... Like, you actually have to put... If you're the mentee, you need to put the work in. You need to know what you're going to ask. You need to know what it is that you're trying to do. And, like, they'll be able to help you and guide you. But they're not. They're, it's not this kind of come and see the wizard in the tower, you know? <laughs> like, that's not mentorship. shit. You'll be very All will disappointed. Be if that's <laughs>
0: yeah. Final question... Uh, It deals with failure, and obviously we've been talking a lot about these side hustles and and taking on other gigs to kind of increase ourselves. If something fails, though, how do you
2: deal with that? I went to see Cameron Schwab speak um, recently. Does anyone know who Cameron Schwab is? He was the CEO of three AFL teams, the youngest CEO ever um, in the league. Uh, Comes from football royalty. Uh, Was surrounded by amazing players in the 70s. Really remarkable guy. The topic was leadership. Um, and he knows a thing or talk about. There was one slide in his presentation that had Lee Matthews, Lee Ma- I'm sorry, Melbourne AFL. Um, Lee Matthews, the most celebrated AFL, VFL, AFL player in the history of VFL, AFL. You can't actually criticise the guy. He's won everything from a coaching level and a player level, premiership, etc. Shot of him and had his rap sheet, his success. It was amazing. And he had a headline on it that said, even the best fail every two weeks. And he had a maths equation that counted all his successes, divided by the amount of weeks that Lee Matthews was in the game, both as a player and a coach, and he had failed every two weeks. So, we have to get used to fucking things up.
3: <laughs> I think it's a change in attitude, and I think, you know, that there's a Silicon Valley phrase of fail fast and fail forward, and, and it's, the, it's the, I'm going to get it wrong, I'm going to learn fast, I'm going to move on but I remember an interesting story that was in a book, and it was a journalist who went to Iceland to talk about happiness and bliss, and basically the the attitude in Iceland is slightly different. The attitude is if you're failing, you're still learning, and if you succeed, you've got nowhere else to go, and that's a problem. So everyone would talk about their past failures as... Well, I was a musician. It didn't really work out, and then I started to go off and be a novelist, and I'm still working at that. But you know, I think I'm going to go and become a fisherman next. And and there was just this this sort of randomness, but it meant that they were continually trying and working and moving forward, and that success actually was just like a a kind of bad thing in a way because you got there, but then but then where to next? You know? So what an amazing
1: journey though. Isn't life about creating a book that has really interesting chapters? And if they're all the same, it's very boring. Yeah. Yeah. Very boring. <laughs>
4: I, I think f- failing fast has also become a little bit trendy, like uh, there's, you, you go in now and you, like we've done, I've done work with big corporations with innovation departments and uh, failing fast is an excuse actually, it's like a, a, a lack of accountability and you know they'll, they'll be practicing and experimenting, the reality is because of the way even that that organisation is structured there's a high, high unlikelihood of anything getting out of that, that department. And it, it's this kind of, oh, but it's OK. We fell fast. And it's like, well, you never even got up. What are you on about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and so I actually think, I, I had to give a, a Creative Mornings presentation in Sydney on risk. I, I brought up, I hated the term, fell fast. And I started with this video with, um, what's his name? Felix Baumgartner, the guy that jumped literally from the moon onto, onto Earth. Like, there was a lot of risk in what he was done and you can't... If you fail fast in doing, jumping from, from that height, uh, you will die pretty fast. Um, and so, I think, like, you have to do all you can not to fail, but don't worry about failing, right? It's not an excuse to not try and achieve something and do what you're doing, but it, it should be, like, once you've done everything you can not to fail and you still fail, cool, don't worry, everyone fails, um, but I think, yeah, it can get taken out of context sometimes, it's become a bit of a phrase.
0: Can we please thank the panel? <laughs> so much for listening to this panel. We hope it was informative. If you want to know more about Streamtime, you can go to streamtime.net. And if you'd like to know more about Foundry, it's just foundry.com.au. And you can find this episode and more at ozdesignradio.com, and you can follow the show on Twitter,
3: Instagram, and SoundCloud at ozdesignradio.